0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I wanted to make sure that anybody tuning in on Facebook Live could hear us. Thankfully, if you heard earlier, we got the beeping fire alarm, but that has ceased. So I was going to apologize to (laughs) anybody listening to the recording. If you hear a faint, annoying beeping in the background, I assure you it would be more annoying to us, but it stopped. So we're going to celebrate that and praise God that it stopped. We are in the middle of our summer series that was a three-week series on some of the old hymns of the faith. I think so often we sing these beautiful songs that we like to sing and some that bring us back to a simpler time uh, in, in church way back in the day when we were sitting in the pews. And there's a certain nostalgia around them. But you know what? Songs, when we sing them, whether they are traditional, old hymns or more contemporary songs... We are saying something when we sing these songs. The lyrics have meaning, and even the tune has meaning. We can go all the way back to Scripture, to the songs, that the songs were poetry set to music, that they would sing. And so song has something. We are singing our faith, but what faith are we singing when we sing some of these songs? So we just sang the church's one foundation, which will be uh, the hymn that we look at this morning. But before we go any further, let's go to God in prayer. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are, that you love us so deeply, and we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in this place for worship, for those watching in, Lord, we pray for them, wherever they may be. We pray that as we look at this music, that we're not just looking at lyrics and music, that we're actually pondering your words in Scripture So we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that we need to receive, that you would silence any voice in us but your own. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray and all the saints say. Amen. Amen. So perhaps one of the most fascinating things to do when looking at these old hymns is to look at the history. The history kind of informs we don't always know the history of the songs we sing, do we? How many of you grew up singing the Church of One Foundation in church back in the day? Remember? Some of you? Sitting in an uncomfortable pew? Most of these old songs, that's where my mind goes immediately leads to an uncomfortable pew. Because it took us a while before we finally got the padded pews, mm-hmm. which was, oh man... Next thing after that, we were climbers, but yeah, we're still <laughs> away from that. But the padded views. But I remember singing this song, and, and, and as a kid, like many things that we learned, you, you'd always know what you're saying, did you? We gave a cute example last week of how we might misinterpret. And the, the little boy we were talking about in the garden, he, he was convinced that God's name was Andy. Because, well, if the song says, Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me. Andy calls me his own. But we don't always know, especially when we throw in some hats and these in there, you know, the old English, uh, we aren't, under, we don't truly understand. And then we get to be adults, and we sing just whatever's on the screen without even thinking about it so often. Or we recite something we know so well from the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, and we just recite it without considering the weight of the words to which we are speaking. Well, this song has a lot of weight to it. I don't know if you thought about it at all when we were singing it earlier, but it has some weight to it. There's some meat on those bones, so to speak. This hymn was written by Samuel Stone back in 1866. So it's an older hymn, 1866. I don't think anybody was around in 1866 in this room. So the church's one foundation was penned by Samuel Stone. He was born in Whitmore, Staffordshire, England. So we have our English friend. And he was the son of the Reverend William Stone. So he's a PK. So this is a pretty good song for a PK. You might expect maybe a little bit of uh, divergence from dad's life with most pastor's kids. you expect him to kind of go off the deep end, but apparently he did pretty well because he followed his father in ministry and ended up taking over as vicar of St. Paul's Church in Hagerston back in 1890, I believe. But he enjoyed penning hymns. And, and what the history kind of informs us is that oftentimes something happens for a song to result. Isn't that normally the case? Poetry, anything, that something happens, some sort of experience happens that causes someone to respond. Because songs are really just a response, aren't they? their response to some moment, some inspiration, some spark of creativity, and then this art, which is really what it is, emerges. Well, what was happening at the time is that uh, John colenso I'm probably butchering names here and there, but uh, John Colenso, who was an Anglican bishop in South Africa, had written a book expressing his thoughts on different ways that the current church was parting away from what was written in the scriptures. Does that sound familiar to anybody? By the saints. Sound a little familiar? How we diverge from scripture? And so he wrote a treatise, so to speak. It's almost like you go back to the Reformation and you hear Martin Luther going, this is not what scripture tells us. Is this really what we're being called to be? Well, in response to these, Stone wrote this hymn, and it was actually a part of 12 hymns that he wrote, dealing with the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. Because when you look at the Apostles' Creed, there's these 12 portion petitions of it, and he decided that a lot of people were using the Apostles' Creed at home, but you know what, people, it wasn't always accessible language, they didn't really know what they were saying, so he decided to write hymns. To help illustrate just like in the early church, they used stained glass to share the gospel to largely illiterate people. Well, the song was then to help them understand this Apostles' Creed, which was the foundation of our faith. In fact, a lot of traditions will uphold the Apostles' Creed. We may differ on a lot of other things, but we'll go, No, we can agree with the Apostles' Creed. And so, which one would you guess if you had to guess? is the article that he's dealing with in the Apostles' Creed for the Church's One Foundation. Can your guess, anybody? i give you a hint. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. When we say the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now, this is one that's often misunderstood. Because when you read the Holy Catholic Church... Did any of the other Protestants in the rooms kind of bristle a little bit? Thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm nothing against my Catholic brothers and sisters, but I'm, I'm not Catholic. Well, it's important to note the case. It's a lowercase c, not an uppercase c. Because does anybody know what the word Catholic means? Universal. Universal, that's right. It's Universal. And so that's how the Catholic Church even got its name in the first place, because they saw themselves as the one universal church. And now, here's a caveat. You can talk, Catholic, there's not, not all Catholics still believe that. But that's how they even got the name. And so here, when we say Holy Catholic, lowercase c, we're saying the Holy Universal Church. So what are we really saying when we say the Holy Universal Church? Worldwide. Worldwide, everywhere, across denominational boundaries. We're saying, when we say we believe in the holy Catholic Church, we're saying that, you know, the Presbyterian Church is not the one true church. The Baptist Church is not the one true church. The Catholic Church is not the one true true church. Because Christ's universal church, his body, his church, extends beyond any man-made borders that we might erect. And so really, when we're speaking about the Holy Catholic Church, we are speaking of unity. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go and do everything together, because let's be honest, between certain traditions, we have some big differences. The Baptists aren't going to want us going baptizing their kids. And we don't necessarily want them rebaptizing us. There's some differences in opinion when it comes to communion. You know, does it really become the body and blood of Jesus, or is it symbolic? I mean, those can be some big differences that may allow us not to do certain things together, but how dare we ever look at another tradition that are followers of Christ and say, you're not part of the church. The church is much bigger than we can even comprehend. Much bigger than any border we may erect. So that's what we are speaking about the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. The saints, and we're not just talking about the saints that get uh, reached sainthood in the Catholic Church, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And often times you hear me refer to you as saints, because we are called to be saints and representatives of the Church. I'm not so obtuse to think that every single person in this room acts like a saint all the time. I may even have the name of a saint, but I can tell you I'm not the saint all the time. But, that's the hope we're living into. You, you, are called to be saints in the church, so let's look a little bit at this song, "This The Church Is One Foundation," because as I mentioned, the lyrics have such meat to them. I think it helps if we kind of walk through the verses and see what is it, what is it that we're really saying when we're singing this hymn. So let's just look at the first stanza. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ, her Lord. What does that say? What does that say? To you? Christ is the center of everything. Christ is Heeds the center foundation. of everything. He's a foundation. Alright, do we have any builders in this room where you've at least seen a house being built? Mm-hmm. Foundation is a pretty important part of a house, isn't it? Would you want to live in a house that doesn't have a foundation? Would you want to live in a house that has a cracked, compromised foundation? A friend of mine is in the process of selling his house, and in the process of selling it, they discovered that they have a significant crack in the foundation. And so he is just, what do we, what do, we do with this? Yeah, we've been living, didn't even know, and now we're going to sell it, and so they're having to repair it. And you should see the quotes he got, repair the foundation. And it's because it's not easy work, and the foundation has to bear a heavy load. So if you're going to pick a foundation, you want something that is sure, that is strong, that will not be compromised, that will not erode, and that can withstand the weight of anything you can put on it. And you know what? The church needs a strong foundation. And when I'm speaking of the church, I'm not just speaking of us here locally, meaning at Bailey's, Academy and Rollsville. I'm talking about the churches that are also meeting across the street or across town or in other countries. We have a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. The church is built upon Jesus Christ. The true church is built upon Jesus Christ. The problem happens when we venture off that foundation, doesn't it? How often? And we talk about this a lot being a church plant because we're still cultivating, we're still building this thing we call the church. We have to think a lot about Is are we building on the right foundation? Because you know what? We love to build on other foundations. We love to go easy. Just like we go easy when building spec homes. I feel like sometimes we do that in church. We're building spec churches. We cut corners. We just do the cheap and easy route just to get it up so we can get something beautiful erected and say, hey, come, look at this. But then when you start looking at it and you start inspecting the different corners, you're like, wait a second. I don't know that I want to live here. We have to be careful where we build our foundations. Matthew 16, in the passage we read earlier, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's Jesus speaking. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, God loves Simon Peter for his boldness. What is his reply? So up until that point, his name was Simon Bar-Jonah, which is Simon's son of Jonah. That's what the bar means. And then here is this wonderful time when Jesus gives him a new name. Peter, Petros in the Greek. Petros, which really means rock. Or it actually means a portion of rock, a split-off portion and Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. But I have this question for you. What rock is Jesus talking about that the church will be built on? Is he talking about Peter? Or is he talking about something else? Talking about himself. Talking about himself. I thought it was fascinating because I've always heard that you know Petros, Peter, means rock and it sounds very similar to the word meaning rock. And so you know, a lot of people assume that, well, you know, this is, Peter was the first pope. And he's, you know, he was the leader of the group. And he plays a very important role, as we see, as the church goes on and acts and is formed and is kind of institutionalized and starts to spread. Peter was an important figure, but was it really being built upon this one human name? No. I thought it was fascinating to see that the name Petrus really means a split off portion of. Because he's really saying, no, on this rock of which you come, of which you were made, this is where I will build my church. You, as a small portion of rock, will represent me, the firm and sure foundation. Jesus is saying, the church will be built upon you. Let's see. from heaven he came uh, or she is the new creation by water in the word we'll go back to that what are we talking about there water in the word what do, we, what do we do with water in the church baptize water is a symbol of new creation of salvation because as anytime we would do a baptism I like to remind people the story of water throughout scripture uh, Water, the watery chaos is how it's explained of which creation came. And God brought order to that watery chaos. We have a story of Noah where water came to give everything a new start. We have the water of Exodus as they pass through the split water of the Red Sea. And we have baptism. Everything, water plays an important role. So water is speaking of salvation. So she is a new creation. Water and word Notice that's an uppercase word. It's not just the word we speak. It's the scripture, and it's Jesus, the living word. And then we go on. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, and with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. Isn't that a beautiful way of putting it? From heaven. Let's consider this. From God's perfect kingdom he came down. He stooped down to seek us. we speak of the church in the feminine form, to be the holy bride, the bride of Christ. And so he stepped down to seek after her, to pursue her in love, because there's no way she could come to him. So he stooped down. God stepped down to Jesus Christ to seek us. And then, not only that, but through his own blood, he purchased her. for her life, he died. For your life, he died. We go on to verse 2. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. Elect from every nation, Yet one or all the earth her charter of salvation. One Lord, one faith, one birth. As we ponder these lyrics, I have this question for you. Is unity a problem today? Yes. Is unity something that's really hard to hold on to even still? I mean, you can look at just about every facet of life. We're not just talking about politics in our own country and how polarized we are. We're talking about the world. We're talking about the church. We're even looking at homes, and there's there's a lack of unity in so many homes. Unity is tough to preserve and to keep. So why do you think it's so important in a song that we proclaim one Lord, one faith, and one birth? That's the church today. Why do you think that's so important? One Lord, one faith, and one birth. <coughs> what do you think, Nina? I could tell you, you have some profound thoughts in that head Anybody want to venture a guess? Why, why do you think it's so important that we see this? One faith, one Lord, one birth. Why one? a It's a reminder. It's a reminder. Trinity is representing one Lord, three in one, and out of that is one faith, mm-hmm. and in the symbolism of one birth, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that could be our second birth. It could be the birth of Jesus. The I mean, birth is an important part of our faith. That's one faith because again, we're talking about the unity of the church, the universal, the Catholic, lowercase c church, all across the world, God's body. We are one, though we may be in many parts. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and two one hope she presses with every grace and duty. One holy name she blesses. What name is that, do you think? Come on, you can get the church minister. Jesus. 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 All right, you got that one. You know that one really. Partakes one holy food. What's that? Holy food of communion. Because that communion serves as a holy reminder for us of the whole purpose of the church. The birth of the church through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the promise of everything to come is all celebrated in that meal. So already here, you have some very important aspects brought up. You have communion is, is, is headed toward. You have baptism is headed toward, which are our two sacraments in our church. There are outward signs of an inward grace, as we might say. And to one hope she presses with every grace in you. That one hope is Jesus. That one hope is upon his, his return. That one hope is what we read about in the book of Revelation. Hidden within all that scary imagery is a beautiful story of love, of God winning in this, in the in the length that God would go to save us. Though with a scornful wonder, the world see her oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Though through the scornful wonder, the world see her oppressed, do we see the church oppressed? Yes. We do. And now I would like to point out that any oppression we may feel in our country varies significantly from the oppression we see the church in other areas where Christians are beheaded and truly thrown in jail. Doesn't mean that we don't face some kickback to us, but I think it's important to remember who the true martyrs of the faith are, and it's the people in those countries where I mean, you, you are disowned by your family and you can be put to death for proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. But isn't it interesting? If you look at the statistics of the growth of the Christian church, where is the church growing the quickest? In the places where she seems to be the most suppressed. For the longest time, it was in the China, Asian region, where you're, it's, it's your outlaw, but it's the underground church that's growing significantly. And recent statistics show that the underground church in the Middle East, in Muslim-controlled territory, is where the church is growing the fastest. And if you want to even go to the Presbyterians, or do you want to know where there's more Presbyterians in the world than anyone else? South Korea. Korea. A faith that comes from a Scottish heritage is biggest in Korea. Isn't that fascinating? Where the church is oppressed, you can't hold it back. She continues forward, and schisms rent us under. And we see schisms. All of us are part of schisms in some form. It may have been a recent schism, or you may be looking at a schism way far back. Because we love to separate, don't we? We love to disagree and separate. And I'm not even going to go as far to say that there aren't good reasons for some of those schisms. But so often we get so into these schisms that we forget. The unity we do have in Jesus Christ, who is our one true sure foundation. And the saints, we keep watching, and we keep crying out how long, because we realize that God's kingdom hasn't yet fully come into this world. We're still proclaiming, Lord, how long will you be here sinning? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Which the Apostle Paul reminds us when we take communion, that we are still saved. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what Paul says. And soon the night of weeping shall be even more a song. because we know, there is an end to this turmoil, and God's kingdom will fully take place here and now. Nearing the end, verse 4. Mid toil and tribulation and toil of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. What are we talking about? We're talking about heaven coming to earth. We're talking about those final days. This is Revelation stuff right here. Spiritual warfare is going on all around us. That's what Revelation helps teach us that whether you realize it or not, there's a war going on right here and now for your soul. And this is telling us that amidst that war, the church waits. When that peace will come to full fruition, when the new heaven and the new earth become one. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Because we will not rest until we experience the new kingdom of God. And finally, in verse 5, Yet she on earth hath union with God of three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Those are the saints who have gone before us. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, though meek and lowly, may live eternally. How often do you feel meek and lowly? Maybe we should be a little more meek. A little more lowly, that we may live eternally. So, what does this mean for us? It means a beautiful hymn. Do you agree with me that there's some good meat to those bones? You can kind of read through the lyrics and, and just your mind can go to a lot of different places, a lot of different scriptures can be brought up as you're looking through this song. Well, I think of the core values. Our core commitments that we've committed to a Christ's work. And one really sticks out. As I look at our five core commitments, we say that we are driven by being Christ-centered, prioritizing people, ceaseless compassion, persistent prayer, caring community. But which one really sticks out when you read this hymn or sing the song? Christ-centered. And there's a reason we list that at the top. Because everything else flows from it. We have to have Christ at the center of everything we do. The church has to have Christ at the center if we seek to be the church at all. Is Christ at the center of everything we do? Are we building upon a firm foundation? There's another passage of scripture where Jesus uses a parable to speak about a firm foundation. Anybody remember the parable of the foolish builder? The wise builder built his house upon what? The rock. The rock. And the foolish built his house upon what? Sand. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. In fact, let's read it together. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. beat against that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. But if we hope to have a sure foundation as a church, it starts with each and every one of us. We are the church. The church is not a space, it's not a building. You, me, all of us are the church. So I leave you with these final thoughts. What is your foundation? When you look at your own life, what are you building upon? Can you honestly say that you're building it upon Jesus Christ, our Lord, upon a sure foundation? Are you building it on other things? I mean, is there this foundation off to the side that you see, okay, well, Jesus is over there, but is that where you're building your life? Or are you building your life on other foundations? Finances, job, other relationships, other pursuits, other passions. If you look at how you spend your time and even your resources, would it point to Jesus Christ as your foundation or not? If we hope to be a church built upon Jesus, we must first in our very own lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen.